0: who is over all and through all and in all. So last week we looked at Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6, and we're going to spend another week, probably one more after this one, and we're looking at some of the virtues that Paul puts in front of the Ephesian church. People who are relatively new to faith and they're wanting to know what does it mean to live out this calling to follow Jesus, and he emphasizes these four virtues that we looked at last week, humility, gentleness, or meekness, patience, and forbearance, or the ability to endure or put up with each other. And Paul says, I want you to do that all in love. And I want you to make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. Why? Because he says our faith is unitive. We serve one God, one Lord, our fa- one faith, one baptism. Our God doesn't have, our God isn't fractured he doesn't have a fractured agenda. And God, has, God is reversing the pull of sin. The pull of sin is to fracture ourselves apart. Disconnect from God. Disconnect with relationship with each other. Disconnect from our relationship with our true selves. But restoration in Christ means a bringing together of these pieces, a formation back into wholeness. And Paul says that's what the church is supposed to, that, that's what's supposed to be happening within the church. And I thought about this passage, this command to live into this calling in Ephesians 4 verses 1 to 6. And I thought, you know, this is part of the reason why I would say it's really important and critical for someone to be meaningfully involved in a local church. Because I don't know how you fulfill this calling without being meaningfully involved in a local church. We need each other you need other Christians in your lives if you honestly desire to live a life worthy of the calling that you've received. We need the crucible of Christian community because that community isn't deeply spiritual form- spiritually formative if it's community on our own terms. But that's often the way we think about Christian community. We think of times with people who we've totally gelled with and we've experienced little to no friction with, we read and applied the Bible in similar ways. We loved and served Jesus in similar ways. They kind of got faith and we love them for it. And those kinds of relationships are really special. But those kinds of relationships are also easy and they don't demand very much of us. And they're easy because they're community on our terms, in our way. And yet Paul's vision is that believing in Christ is going to put us into contact and into proximity with people, other Christians, whose lives and beliefs and emphases and temperaments are going to require the development of humility and gentleness and patience and forbearance. Right? The subtext of this letter is that genuine Christian community is God's design for the church, but it's not going to just be easy. It's going to require effort, it's going to re- require tremendous spiritual maturity on the part of everybody involved. Now, for some people, that might sound like a bit of a downer. It might sound bleak, but I'm just trying to be honest. One of the reasons why it's difficult to be a pastor is that you have to learn. You're placed in this crucible where you have to learn to appreciate and love so many different kinds of people who, if you weren't a pastor, you, if you wanted to, could avoid them, or you just never come in contact with them. You would be able to set aside a personally curated Christian community of people who thought like you and 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 there was just a good spiritual sympatical with you wouldn't have to wrestle and grapple with what it means to love and serve those that hold very divergent views and for whom it may be difficult for you to arrive at anything approximating a strong, simpatico. Maybe you're on very different pages about things, but one of the gifts of being a pastor is that you're held in that space long enough with people so that you come to a place to really appreciate that they're needed within the body of Christ. The challenge to grow in my appreciation and understanding and love for Christians who are different than me is ever before me as a pastor. And it's really forced me to grow up in all kinds of ways that I'm not sure I would have had I not been called into this role. And I know that not every Christian is called to the specific calling of a pastor, but every Christian is called to the specific calling of learning to love those who are not like them and learning to enter into a community and develop spiritual friendships with other Christians who are different from them. Because it's through these relationships that God begins to bring about a depth of character and maturity that a carefully curated social network will never birth in your life. And that process isn't easy. I don't want to make it sound like it's easy, but it is vital. And it's actually a calling that's rooted in verses like Ephesians 4, verses 1 to 6. So let's talk a little bit about what exactly we mean when we're talking about Christian community. What's this going to look like? What does this mean? What are we going after? There's probably several good definitions here, but let me share one from one of the church's great thinkers as it relates to the topic of community, and that's Dietrich Bonhoeffer. In his fantastic book, Life Together, he writes this, Christian community means community through Jesus Christ and in Jesus Christ. There is no Christian community that is more than this, and none that is less than this. Whether it's a brief singular encounter or the daily community of many years, Christian community is solely this. We belong to one another only through and in Jesus. So I want to repeat that. Christian community is community in and through Jesus. Not church affiliation, not even scriptural values. It's something deeper than that. It's a shared sense of a common experience, of having known and experienced the love and grace and forgiveness and joy that is available in Christ alone. Now, how does Christian community happen? We talk about it, but... How does it sort of work? This is important to address because loneliness, we hear more and more in different um, studies and and articles that are written. I I seem to come across three or four a year on the fact that loneliness is an increasingly significant epidemic within our society. And I think there's all kinds of forces at play uh, to lead to a very similar uh, situation within the church. I think loneliness is growing within the church. Now, the first reason that loneliness may be as prevalent as it is within the church and that we're not seeing the kind of Christian community that scripture promises is that there are too many Christians that are hoping that Christian community will happen without them having to cultivate personal communion with Christ. So this is the person who says, I don't have time to work on my relationship with Jesus, but I'll surround myself with Christians and I'll just kind of build community and live vicariously from their place of connection with Christ. And, but as Bonhoeffer just said, Christian community is all about having relationship in and through Jesus. So if we're neglecting that personal dimension of our relationship with God, we should expect simply surrounding ourselves by with by other, um, surrounding ourselves um, with other Christians is only going to get us so far. Christian community is community in and through Jesus. And so if we minimize that dimension of personal piety before Christ, it's just going to lead to superficiality in our Christian friendships. And and we'll have an increasing sense of loneliness, even within, even when we're gathered amongst other Christians that we know because Christian community is in and through Jesus. But what if that isn't the problem? What if my relationship with Christ is strong and it's growing, but I still don't feel like I'm experiencing any breakthroughs with Christian community? There's no momentum really there. What's missing? Well, if the issue isn't between me and God, the interference may lie between myself and others. So let's look at how Christian community happens. You know, In broad strokes, I would say Christian community happens as we establish patterns, first that lead to mature godly friendships with others, as we pray together with other people, as we learn to understand and apply the Bible faithfully together, and as we serve in mission together. So on the screen, you'll see these four dimensions, heart, soul, mind, and strength. Christian community happens as we live out patterns of heart, soul, mind, and strength and our love for and with our neighbors. And the more of these dimensions you bring to bear on any particular relationship, the deeper and richer your experience of Christian community will be, right? If you have a Christian friend and you share your burdens with them and talk with them and listen well with them, you will experience Christian community. But if you add to that prayer, that will deepen that relationship. If you add to that discussion and going deep into God's word together, that will increase the community. And so will if you add to those things further still, serving alongside each other, serving in mission together. And so the more dimensions we can bring to bear in our relationships, the deeper our sense of Christian community. And what's important here to emphasize that I don't want anyone to miss, because it invaded me for a long time, is that Christian community is not the goal, right? Notice that. Christian community is a byproduct The goal for the Christian is Christ. The goal is to live for God's glory and to seek, to love God, heart, soul, mind, and strength, and to share that love with other people. But too many churches have made the fruit the root, and they've made the circumference the center. And they think, we want to be a church that's about building community. We want to be a church that's about cultivating community. That is the wrong focus. The focus should be, we want to be a church that is pursuing Jesus together. And learning, like Jesus said, to seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and then all these other things, including deep, um, transformative Christian friendships, those will be added to us. And so community is really a byproduct of missional discipleship. As we seriously and intentionally follow Jesus and, and honor God through our everyday lives, we will experience community. The community is kind of like happiness. If you chase after it, it'll always evade you. But instead, if you seek to serve God and bless other people and serve other people, you'll find yourself being more joyful and you'll find yourself experiencing community. Let's talk about levels of community, because I think for people in churches, this is critically important to understand. One of the books that was deeply formative for me in my early 20s was a book called The Search to Belong by Joseph Myers. And in it, he talks about how, well, kind of working with sociologist Edward T. Hall, he identifies four kinds of spaces in which we find a sense of belonging. There are public spaces. And these are spaces about a shared common experience in a larger space. Maybe it's a large public worship gathering or a conference where there's 500 or 1,000 people there. Or you're at a community hockey game. Uh, a citywide gathering, maybe it's a Terry Fox run or some kind of event like that. These public spaces, you don't know many of the people there, but you're still experiencing a sense of community. You're all there sharing in some kind of event or experience together. The next more intimate space is the social space, and this is where people begin to select their community. These are spaces of about 20 to 40 people and these are, these are starting to be people that you're interested in going deeper with and learning to be a little bit more vulnerable with in order to build a friendship. It might not be a tremendously deep friendship, but a significant friendship. In a congregational setting, this might be a kind of a mid-sized group of 20 to 40 people. Biblically, this space was what the New Testament called the oikos, the Greek term meaning a house or a household. Most people have about 20 to 40 people Relationally, in their life, that would fit this social space. The next most intimate space is called the personal space. And this is where we connect through private relationships. This is somewhere around 8 to 16 people in our lives. Most people have about 8 to 16 people who occupy a personal space of community. Think of Jesus and the 12. There were lots of people who Jesus knew and interacted with, but the 12 had a special place of access to and with Jesus. And this is where in our life, discipleship begins to take place in a deeper way with these this what's starting to be an inner core of good friends. not just friends like in our social space, but in our personal space, these are starting to be good friends. And the last space and the most intimate, And the space that for most people means they only have one to maybe three people who even occupy this space at any given time is the intimate space. And this is the space where we are, where people know the naked truth about us and we don't feel ashamed. These are people who we can be completely vulnerable with, who know us, who know our strengths and our weaknesses. These are genuinely deep, deep Known by other people. Intimate relationships. And if you think about Jesus. The New Testament talks about. This sphere. Of intimate relationship that Jesus had. With Peter, James and John. There are times that. Jesus removes Peter, James and John. From within the 12. In order to have. A significant. Significantly more intense intimate experience. With with between just the four of them. Now I. I reference that book and this understanding, which I think lines up both with sociology. If you think about your own life, it makes a lot of sense. If you look at the biblical witness and certainly the patterns in Jesus' life, it lines up to the biblical story. I say, you know, I bring this up to emphasize a really important point that I don't think gets emphasized enough in the church. There are different levels of Christian friendships. There are different levels of Christian community, and that is okay. The goal of Christian community is not to make every single Christian in your life best friends. That is impossible. You don't have the capacity for it. Instead, what we should do is we should look at each of these areas, the intimate sphere, the personal sphere, the social sphere, and the public sphere, and say, how do I cultivate genuine Christian friendships with other people within each each sphere, within within each of these dimensions. Because each of these are important. It's not like the only people who count in our life are the people who have intimate or personal relationships with us. Relationships throughout these dimensions are a gift from God. And God uses them to encourage us, to strengthen us, and to challenge us. We need community at all four levels to be healthy and strong. So even though I may never spend a huge amount of time with someone in the public level of relationship, I can still pray for them, I can still encourage them from afar, I can still build community, but it's going to look different and be experienced to something different as opposed to someone who occupies a much more intensely personal relationship with me. And this is important for us to hear because even within a small church where felt community may be strong, Christian friendships are not all or nothing. And so accepting that Within all of our relationships, we're going to have different levels of friendship and community. And not seeing that as a bad thing, but celebrating it and giving thanks for it are really, really important. Now, the church, I would argue, it's not the church's job to be your social facilitator. However, it can be. I think it's important to understand that one of the things the church should be is a conduit through which we are invited into more meaningful and richer Christian relationships with one another. I mean, that's what I want to see happen. My job as a pastor is not to force friendships upon people or guilt people into new opportunities or new relationships. But what I want is for everyone who wants to have better and deeper friendships, at every level, I want them to be able to grow in that. I want to remove as many obstacles as possible. So how do you and I create and deepen Christian community? Well, let's go back to verse three. Paul says it in Ephesians four. Make every effort to keep the unity of the spirit through the bond of peace. Make every effort, that word again, spudazo, zealous, to do something with intense effort and motivation. So Paul says, if you want to create and deepen Christian community, you got to go for it. You got to work at this. You can't just show up to church, sit in a chair and expect community to be uh, dropped into your lap you've got to make it happen. And that's on all of us, me, you, we make it happen. We don't wait for it to happen. And that means all of us have personal responsibility to do what we can where we are to take the next step to try and establish and deepen Christian community. But that also means that we as leaders within the church, I'm speaking for myself and our site leadership team, we have to make every effort to help make it happen. So this year I want to emphasize a few key channels through which community can be established and thre- strengthened. So the first is Sunday morning. Don't waste your Sunday mornings in terms of building community. Sunday mornings don't exist to build community. Sunday mornings exist for us to gather around uh, worship in the word and to be formed by God's spirit through those mechanisms. But Sunday morning is an opportunity. To connect across these four dimensions and levels of relationship with each other. So here's one way you can really make your Sundays count. After the service is over on Sunday, aim to have three post-church connections. And then of those three, make one of them with someone who is a familiar face to you, but you just don't really know that well. Google some small talk conversation starters if you're... Don't feel like you have that skill set. Develop it. And say every Sunday I'm going to have maybe a three to ten minute conversation with three other people. Again, it doesn't have to be long. And it might just be small talk. That's okay. But I'm also going to push myself to connect with someone who, yeah, I kind of recognize them, but I don't think I've ever even just connected with them say, hey, how's it going? How's your week? Nice to see you this morning. Hope you have a good week. The second way that we can strengthen and create Christian communities through small groups. Groups where 8 to 12 or 14 people are getting together regularly to discuss the Sunday Sermon and apply it to their lives and talk about how that's going, who are studying video or Bible studies, who are looking at certain books of the Bible, certain theological topics. We have different small groups that run, and if you want information on those, you can go on our website or you can email me at jeff at nelsoncovenant.com. Small groups are a great way to begin rubbing shoulders with people who will begin to occupy that maybe level three, maybe even two in your life. We have ministry-specific small groups like Beyond Our Walls that meets on Monday nights to pray and Freedom Session that's starting up at the end of September where we're learning to walk in newness of life and the freedom that Jesus provides, walking away from our woundedness uh, allowing Jesus to heal those places of brokenness in our lives and pursuing healing through discipleship. I'm going to be taking part in Freedom Session this year. That's going to be one of the major ways that I'm wanting to grow in Christian community as I learn to follow Jesus. And I'm looking forward to it. And I would really encourage you to consider being a part of Freedom Session. It's an amazing ministry. And lastly, one of the things that we're introducing this year that's new is three-to-one groups. And they're so named because they're referring to three people who commit to meeting together for two hours once a month. Three people, two hours, once a month. We know that for some people, um, finding a schedule to make small groups work is just difficult for them, either because of personal or or, uh, work commitments. And So this year I'm encouraging everyone to consider being a part of a 3-2-1 group. Now, they're going to have a plan for their time together. I'll give each group options of what they can do. They might just be kind of deep, the same reflective questions every month. Uh, Some groups might want to study through a particular book of the Bible or a theological topic. Again, to me, um, the actual content is less important than the commitment to say, I want to enter into uh, a, a, a spiritual friendship with at least two other people. On this topic going in this direction as we're learning to follow Jesus and we're not gonna meet together very often but we're gonna meet together intentionally once a month and that's gonna be enough to deepen this friendship and to build some spiritual momentum and I'm excited about this because three to one groups are something most of us can be a part of and many of us may find that being a part of one or even two is maybe even more fruitful than trying to make a conventional small group work because you will benefit from that smaller circle of relational intensity. So my point here is that there are several ways you can make every effort to be part of a church that is building a culture of unity and harmony. There is no one size fits all solution to Christian community. There's no magic bullet. It's not easy. It requires work. And so the challenge for each of us is to take stock of where we are, to look at Um, the depth and quality of our relationships across those four levels honestly and to say, am I willing to take the risk of opening myself up to something new, to go deeper with people, to cultivate uh, and strengthen godly relationships across the public, social, personal, and intimate levels of my life. We're learning as a church to walk in unity from a place of having been reconciled to God We're each other's new redeemed family. We're we're learning and growing together. But loneliness and isolation doesn't have to exist in our church, and it shouldn't exist. They don't need to. If each of us is willing to take the next step in building community in and through Jesus.